0: Turning in today to book of Hosea. <coughs> and our title is Amazing Grace. Hosea was a son. He was the son of Berai, one one says. Hosea was a husband, as we'll see, the husband of Gomer. Hosea was a father, the father of two boys, Jezreel and Lo-Ammi, chapter 1 indicates and of one girl, lo Ruhama, each significant names. He was an Old Testament prophet, a person through whom God spoke to his people. 1 verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. And 1 verse 2, the Lord spoke through Hosea. He was one of four 8th century Old Testament prophets in Israel. Hosea and Amos prophesied in the northern kingdom of Israel, while Isaiah and Michael prophesied at the very same time to the southern kingdom of Judah. Hosea in this book mentions many places in the northern kingdom, indicating his familiarity with that region. He mentions five reigning kings in verse 1 of chapter 1, indicating that his ministry lasted for nearly 40 years from 760 to the exile of the Northern Kingdom in 722 BC. his book is the longest of the 12 minor prophets and is one reason, perhaps, why it is placed first in this collection of minor prophets. Maybe you're unfamiliar with the book of Hosea. Let me encourage you to spend time with it. One commentator mentions his appreciation of this book. He says, I cannot imagine myself as a human being, let alone as a believing person, without the book of Hosea. Later, prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel will borrow many images and phrases from this book of Hosea. In the New Testament, Jesus Matthew, Peter and Paul will all quote from this book of Hosea. This book of the Bible if read and studied by us will deeply enrich your spiritual life and you can read it through in 20 minutes. The basic structure of the book is into two big parts. Chapter 1 to 3 are historical Chapters 4 to 14 are more prophetical. In the first part, we encounter Hosea's troubled marriage to Gomer. His wife was unfaithful to him. He continued to love her, and by God's command, he took her back. And this is a a symbol, an illustration to the people of his time, of God's love for his unfaithful people, Israel. In the second part of the book, we read of God appealing to the northern kingdom, warning them and promising them forgiveness and grace on their repentance. And that's the cycle and outline that we followed in our reading today. We've read the sections of grace and each of those sections are preceded by warnings from God. They give us an insight into the character of God, into his holiness, and into his love. And like the people of that time, we deserve his judgment, but we can receive his grace. There are three main words uh, which characterize and summarize the prophet of Hosea, I I would suggest. uh, You you may beg to differ, but here, here they are. Sin, judgment, and grace. And we think of these three dominant themes uh, from this book this morning. The five sections describe the judgment of God on Israel. They're going to go into exile and they will do uh, at the end of Isaiah's ministry in 722 BC. But why is God judging the people? It's because of their lifestyle, the rejection of him, their sins prophet Asiyah specifies precisely what God is displeased with in their life he points the finger he singles out particular deeds he gets under their skin with the authority of heaven he goes after their conscience and there's three major sins identified in the five cycles idolatry, violence and foreign alliances And in each of the five cycles in the book of Isaiah from which we have read, these three sins keep emerging. Violence, idolatry, and foreign alliances. He repeats the points. He expands on the sins. This repetition allows nuances and increased pressure as he goes after their conscience. Let's think of the first. Idolatry. People in the time of Isaiah turned to false gods. And one false god in particular, well known to Old Testament readers, the god Baal. And we can kind of understand why they did this. They wanted the the yearly harvest. Israel, the northern kingdom, was an agrarian community. They had to eat. They had to feed their children. The the pagan gods around them seemed to have a connection between worshipping Baal and a good harvest. And Israel was sucked in by this. And they worshipped Baal, the god of the skies. The god of the rain and the god of the sun. The god of the harvest, they claimed. And so in 2.5 we read, He gives us our wool, our flax, our oil, our drink. They attributed their harvests to Baal rather than the living and true God. In two one we read they love to worship other gods. In nine ten we read they deserted me, God says, for Baal, giving themselves to that shameful idol. In thirteen verse two we read now they sin more and more, and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of the craftsman. Here is the first sin that's identified by the prophet that they are turning their backs on God the living God and they are turning to idols especially to this idol Baal the second sin identified is violence in just 30 years the northern kingdom in Israel had six kings four of them were assassinated And that violence which was evident in the palace was also seen in the back streets. It was a troubling time, a dangerous time, a time of anarchy among the nation. We read in chapter 4 verse 2 that while violence was the dominant sin, it wasn't the only sin. It says there, there is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery, bloodshed follows Bloodshed. Many of the commands of the second table of the law were being broken by that society. In 6 8, we read Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with footprints of blood. 7 7, we read they devour their rulers, all their kings have fallen. It was a community, a time, an age, a society of violence in the palace and right down to the cities and streets of the villages and towns the third sin the third way in which they've turned their back on God, idolatry violence against those made in the image of God and thirdly foreign alliances we might think Israel was a small nation and having a military alliance with bigger nations would be a wise and a useful thing But it was an indication that they again turned their backs on God. They were putting their trust in the military power of Egypt in the south. And Assyria, the world power of the time. And God rebukes them. Once again, for turning away from him. In 711 he says Israel is like a silly dove. Silly and without sense. Calling to Egypt. Going to Assyria. Like a dove not knowing what direction to fly in. Going one way and then another. This is like Israel. Going to Egypt seeking their help. Then going to Assyria and currying favor with them. Instead of putting their trust in the God who had brought them from Egypt. And provided for them. Chapter 8 verse 9. He likens them to to a donkey seeking a mate. Verse nine They have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. In seven thirteen he says, They have strayed from me. I would redeem them, but they speak against me. So here is the first theme in the book of Hosea. It's a dark time, a time of idolatry, a time of violence. A time of seeking foreign alliance, defense, and strength in others rather than in God. I remember a pastor visiting me and and asking about, about the church and the congregation and one of the questions he asked, what outreach are you able to do into the community? And he suggested to me one approach is to identify what the idol is in the community around the church and address that idol. He said that in his congregation, that the idol in his community was cars. And so he held a vintage car rally in the church car park. The whole community came to this and he told them about Jesus. In Isaiah's time and in our time, there are idols. The evidence of idolatry is on the Sabbath day within our nation and with our, in our province. People choosing to, to go to other interests and pleasures like sport and shopping and family before the public worship of God. People choosing. To do other things that please them instead of coming to church buildings to worship the living and true God indicates idolatry in our community and time. And violence like Hosea's day is widespread in our nation. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in the UK. On average, there are two murders per week in the UK. The rising appeal of euthanasia indicates violence. The 1,000 recorded knife crimes per week in the UK indicates our society is a society of violence. And the message of Isaiah is that God sees us. God cares about this. This is one of the sins that he pulls out in the time of Hosea and detests and says, I am going to judge you for your violence. Perhaps these sins are in our hearts as well. We all have idols in our hearts and homes, don't we? Things that keep us from God and from his way. From time to time, there's violence, not in our actions, I hope, but in our words to one another in the home, in the workplace. We can put our trust in ourselves, in our pension, in our bank balance, in our ability to make money, rather than in God. Does our lack of prayer indicate a lack of trust and need of God in our life. The sin that God sees, the idolatry, the violence, the foreign alliances. But secondly, the judgment that comes, and this is a a second major theme out of faithfulness. It must have hurt him to say this to his people, to communicate this to his people, that God will bring judgment upon you. What a message. And, and, and the, 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 the incredible thing for Isaiah is that not only did he prophesy this, but he witnessed it. He lived to 722 BC to see the fulfillment of the prophecy in the exile of the northern kingdom to Assyria. And what is, what is striking about these announcements of judgment throughout the five cycles is that God tailors his judgment to the sins of the people. So not just a general judgment, not just a, an outburst of anger from heaven, but, but God fine-tunes and tailors his judgment On the people, so that they can make the connection between this sin that they have done and the judgment that comes upon them. Their idolatry, the judgment on their idolatry is famine. They worship Baal because he's the God of the crops, supposedly. He gave them the yearly harvest they believed and maintained. God says, Well, the judgment on your idolatry will be tailored, it will be famine. Chapter 2, verse 9. I will take back my grain, my wine, my wool, my flax, God says. They trusted in Baal for all of these things. The judgment of God is going to remove these very things to show to them that He is God, He is Lord, He's to be trusted. Their second sin was violence. And the judgment of God was going to come upon them with a violent invasion. Violence was widespread among them. Among the palaces, among the the back streets of the towns and the cities. There were places where they were trampling in the blood. Such was the widespread nature of the violence. For a violent people, God says, I will judge you with violence. Chapter 10 verse 14. The tumults of war will arise among your people. The violent will be the subjects of violence by the brutal Assyrians. And then foreign alliances, they were looking to other nations, to Assyria, to Egypt for strength and military power and might. And God says, I will tailor my judgment on your turning your back on me and putting your trust in Assyria and in Egypt. And the judgment will be that you'll go to those nations. You're looking to those nations for help and power. Well, I'm going to send you there. Chapter 8, verse 13. I will punish their sins. They will return to Egypt Verse 7, Hosea uses the image of a branch and water to describe their exile to Assyria. He says they will float away like a twig on the face of the waters. The second theme in the five cycles of Hosea is God judging the sin of the people with a tailor made judgment on the idolatrous, on the violent. On the foreign alliances. It's a reluctant step God says. Chapter 9 verse 7. I I have sent you the prophets. I have warned you. I have pleaded with you through Isaiah for 40 years. That this is no knee-jerk reaction to your transgressions. But but, but their response to the prophets in 9-7 is. The prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad. They say. Some parents have found tailored discipline to be effective in raising their children. I don't know if you've used that in your home. The child at the the dinner table throws food all over the kitchen and you deny them a treat. The the teenager comes home after the agreed curfew and you take time off their screen time. A tailored punishment to link the punishment to the offense. God does this here. And the prophet Isaiah. Does believers or unbelievers, one of the main errors that we can make, which was made by the people in Hosea's time, is that God's indifferent to our sin? He's a gracious God. He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He's so far away we cannot see him, He's invisible. They thought that, chapter 7, verse 2, they do not consider that I remember. All their evil. They don't think about this. It it doesn't haunt them. It doesn't refrain them from sin. They do not consider that I remember all their evil. We've spoken to the children of how deceitful our (coughs) sinfulness can be. They still went to the Passover, they still worshiped at the temple. They still kept many of the rules and regulations of Judaism from the Old Testament law. But they also did many other things. They had God as their God, but also Baal as their God and other gods as their God. And this is why he uses this image in 7 verse 8 of a cake that's half-baked. Yes, part of them is commendable, but there's another side to them that is terrible. God wants our inward love as well as our outward conformity. Chapter 6, verse 6, I want love, he says. In that famous verse in Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6, I want love, God says, and not sacrifice. If God's going to choose between the outward religion or the inward religion of the heart, he's going to choose the inward religion of the heart every time. I want love and not sacrifice sacrifice perhaps this is one reason why church leaders or Christians who attend church can fall into serious sin because we only look on the outside when we evaluate ourselves when we come before God in prayer we only think of the good things that we have done, we're not honest with ourselves and look at the full heart gambit of our character and being the inside and the outside, Isaiah challenges us on this point. The sin, the judgment, and thirdly, the grace. Just as loudly, just as eloquently, just as grippingly and clearly as he speaks about the sin and judgment, he speaks about the grace of God. And he uses two powerful metaphors in this prophecy to communicate to them to us to everyone who will listen the graciousness of God. The first is the husband of an unfaithful wife in chapters 1 to 3. We see Amaris, the woman Gomer. She is unfaithful to him. She has other lovers. He still loves her and God commands the prophet to bring her again to his home and to love her. Imagine the shame that he experienced. Imagine the inner emotions, the the, the disappointment that he felt. Imagine all the turmoil of his heart going through that experience. And this was to give the nation an insight. To God's love for his people that though he will send them away and they'll go into exile for their sins. He will bring them again into the promised land. Chapter 3 verse 1. Go and love your wife again even though she commits adultery with another lover. And his behavior illustrates the love of God. Then in chapter 11. Perhaps you think that the parable of the prodigal son by Jesus was something that he concocted on the spur of the moment. It's rooted in Hosea chapter 11. The imagery is there of a father loving his son, teaching his son to walk in chapter 11, verse 3, feeding his son. All the love, the energy, the resources, the time poured into this son whom he values and delights in. But the son rebels. Chapter 11, verse 7, we read, My people are bent on turning away from me. What does the father do? The father does what any father worth his salt would do. He continues to love the son. The son comes back. Chapter 11, verse 8, we hear the words of God. How can I give you up? You're my son. I've loved you. I've cared for you. I've helped you. In this chapter, the sun returns. Chapter 11, verse 10. They shall go after the Lord again. 11, verse 11. I will bring them home alongside of these wonderful parables of a husband loving an unfaithful spouse and of a father loving a rebellious son. This insight into the heart of our God today as we sit before him with our sins, with our idolatry, with our violence, with our trusting in what we have and what we can earn rather than in him, we come to him assured of his forgiveness and his grace. In cycle 1 we read in 1 verse 11 they will return from exile. In cycle 2 he says I will show love to those I called not loved. In cycle 3 God's love is like the coming of rains in early spring. In cycle 4 I will bring them home again. In cycle 5 chapter 14 verse 4 he says my love for them will know no bounds for my anger will be gone forever one of the tragic pieces of news last week was the death of Steve Wright, the BBC DJ his friends and those closest to him say died of a broken heart, he was cut loose from his job on radio 2 and no one went near him, just left him cut him loose another tragic piece of news was the death of Neville Lynn prisoner and critic of Putin, dying in a prison and exile 1,300 miles from Moscow. Exiled. Without hope. Without recovery. Without love. Both of these men cast aside. Unwanted. Unloved. But here's the prophet Isaiah. Yes, yes, The people have sinned. Yes, God will judge them and send them into exile, but yes, He will bring them back again. He's the father of the prodigal, He's the loving husband of the unfaithful spouse. His law persists through our rejection, our sinfulness waywardness. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, well, how how does this happen? This this theme of sin, judgment, grace, where's the bridge? How how do we move from the the judgment into the grace? How can God do this? Hosea has the answer. Does it? Through Jesus. In this book of Hosea, Christ is foreshadowed and Christ is prophesied he's the very son of God chapter 11 verse 1 we we read the words my son he shares the divine nature and that one very God of very God came down into this world 11 verse 1 he will be called out of Egypt he will go there fleeing from Herod at his birth pursued by his enemies In his teaching, chapter 6, verse 6, he quotes from Hosea, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifice. This inward devotion to God, which he showed, and not just an outward conformity of religion. Then his resurrection and death is predicted in chapter 6 and verse 2. After two days, he will revive. On the third day, he will raise us up. That we may live before him. Here is how this shift can be made. From the judgments into the grace. In the northern kingdom's experience. And the new, your experience and mine. Jesus. The son of God who will live perfectly. Inwardly and outwardly. Who will go down into death. And rise again on the third day. Through him. We come to God. So the prophet ends with the the sinner's prayer. He gives us words to say as we come to our God aware of our unworthiness this morning. Chapter 14 verses 2 and 3. Take with you words. Return to the Lord and say to him. Forgive all our sins. And graciously receive us.